Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Everybody, get ready for this. Mm. There's a lot of sex talk. I, I mean, I. Oh yeah, disclaimer. Yeah, there's like a you know. It's We're a gonna sex be farce. talking about sex. You know what, listener? It's a thing. People do it. Yeah. Let's let's just give like a, a quick birds and the bees yes. right off the top. You know, when, are we explaining what sex when, is? Is that what's happening? When two people love each other, of, it doesn't matter what gender <laughs> they are. When two people people love each other very much for lifetime or an afternoon. When. <laughs> When, when your chemistry reaches a point where you can no longer ignore your hormones. When the summer night smiles at you unexpectedly. When, when the moon looks a certain way. When the moon is in the seventh house. <laughs> anyway, when two people look at each other across the way and they're both bored and have already eaten lunch. And the stairs, you know, last longer than three seconds. Yes. But they, not like me and Jeffrey are doing right no, now. No, this is sustained nope. eye contact yeah. with actual conversation. Actual conversation. Yeah. This is a fake conversation. <laughs> <laughs> when two people love each other very much, sometimes their bodies mash together. The two skeletons mash together. Yes. And uh, physically, something weird happens, and then they both shower and go home. And then feel bad about themselves. Yes, and shame. The, and and that's the birds and the bees. And to be honest with you, joking aside, a lot of what Little Night Music is about is um, some of the complications and baggage that comes with sex. Agreed. So learn from it, children. <laughs> Teach the children. <laughs> Teach the children. Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the emotional and cultural impact of some of our favorite shows in musical history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. And today we are talking A Little Night Music. It's our first Sondheim show. Can you believe it? That's crazy. <laughs> it's our first Sondheim show that we're covering. I'm excited that it's A Little Night Music, and I'm really excited that my guest is Tom Sohar. Hi. <laughs> hello. Oh, hello. Thank you. Hello. I'm practicing my NPR voice. This is your podcast voice. Yes. I can't quite get low enough. Isn't it sad? Like, my <laughs> voice will not go into my chest in any significant way. My voice naturally just goes up into my cheekbones, and I can't, I don't know. It's it was, that bone structure. I definitely, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Uh, okay. I remember when I first reached out to you about what show we wanted to cover. Yeah. And you mentioned a little night music. Yeah. And I immediately referenced the first time that I came to know of the show, which was I was in junior high and I was in a car with my friend, shout out to Katie Pace from Willard, Utah. And we're in the car and I think You Must Meet My Wife came on one of her mixes that uh -huh. she had in uh, playing in her cassette tape player. Really and, dating yourself right? here. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, what's this show from? And she says, a little night music. And I said, what's that about? And she thought for a beat and then said, sex. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So then we li were listening to the song. And then uh, the next song was a track from Candide. And once again, I said, oh, what's this from? And she said, Candide. And I said, what's that about? She goes, actually, this one's about sex, too. Sex and jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess they both are, kind of. <laughs> So then I, I tell you that story, yeah. and you—do you remember what you said to me after that? Uh, please remind me. 
<laughs> it was Please my do. favorite. And you immediately replied with, all entertainment that we think of as elegant and mm-hmm. refined is actually about rich people trying to boink. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it, pretty much anything. I don't know. There's something about rich people and their privilege that allows them to worry about who they're sleeping with mm-hmm. that feels detached from reality. It's privilege. As I know it. Yeah. yeah. Like privilege can be defined by how much you think about who you're going to sleep with. I mean, in some ways, we still have that going on. Some of it has to do with class system. Some of it has to do with looks. I don't know. I feel at least in our community, oh, there's a lot sure. of that going on. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I want to be with someone, but like, you're going to need to send me a nudie first. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. And in, if they if they did little night music nowadays, it would all be taking place on Tinder and Grinder. And you know, <laughs> just be text messages. Text. A series of texts. For a long time, I thought it would be really funny to do a little night rock music oh, and shoot. do it. It's a horrible idea, but that's why it makes me laugh. And just like modernize it and set the same score to like rock music. Oh. And I thought it would be so stupid. But what if it's so stupid that it would work? So if any. <laughs> Anyone's listening to this and want to try it out, just and maybe reach out to Mr. Sondheim and see if he's so desperate at this point that he'll want to try it. I just think it would be a terrible idea, but it might be a terrible idea that could work because it's so bad. Do you remember? Look, we're already in the theme of the show with all this. Remember? <laughs> Do you remember back in the day, Columbia House or BMG? With the catalogs of CDs. Do you remember this? I think so, yes. You would join you would join the club. And they send you CDs, right? And, well, they would send you this like packet of all of the albums or CDs that the recording company owned. Mm-hmm. And then you had to choose eight CDs that you could get for the price of one. Mm-hmm. So by joining the club, you paid for one CD, you'd get eight for free, and then you had to agree to buy two at a discounted price later on. Oh, that's clever. I did it twice. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I feel like I did it once with each of the companies that were doing that so that I could get as many cast albums as I could. Uh And A Little Night Music was one of them. Oh. Along with... Like Vanessa Williams' Kiss of the Spider Woman oh. the cast album. Just like the, the strangest things. But... And that's the day you said, I'm gay. This is it. <laughs> nope. That's no, it was, no. It, that... was, it was another good 15 years before that one <laughs> came. But it, solidi- it, just, it helped solidify it. Come on. <laughs> Vanessa Williams just helped solidify it. it Vanessa Williams was like, <laughs> she was Colors of the Wind at that point. Absolutely. So it was like a step closer to Disney. The more Vanessa yeah. Williams that I had in my life. And anything the closer related to I Disney, was to Disney. Also. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we're deviating. Oh, no, no. So, oh, yeah, right. Would so I watch Vanessa case. Williams play Desiree Umfeld? Yes. <gasps> Am I just, did I just come up with that amazing casting idea? Maybe. I, I think you just maybe changed the face of musical theater. I want to see that production now. Vanessa, if you're listening. Brian Stokes Mitchell as Frederick. Oh, my God. And I'm sure he's played it before, right? I would hope so. I, don't know if, I think I would know if Vanessa Williams had played Desiree before. And then, like, Felicia Rashad as Madame Oh, my Marfell. God. Why, <laughs> why, um, why aren't we doing this Shut the this podcast already? down. <laughs> we are flying to New York. I don't know where the people... Just, if, if the people who manage the people we were talking about are listening... Make this happen. And credit us and give us money. Holy Thank crap. You. I'm shaking. Yes. This is so good. <laughs> Quivering in perpetual Anyway, that's Vanessa Patel. Okay. Good job. 
Uh, okay, we can't. We, we got to get away. We got to get away from right. Vanessa Williams right now. This is what she does. She does. Too. She grabs onto you and you don't let go. Okay. <sighs> Those blue eyes. <sighs> I want to begin by talking about how the show came about. Yeah. I always talk about She Loves Me, and I promise I don't try to, but it comes up yet again. She Loves Me, 1964. Mm-hmm. It's the first show that Harold Prince, Hal Prince, directs. Mm-hmm. Like, he steps outside of his producer plate and directs that show to much critical success. And he and Stephen Sondheim were obviously collaborators, having worked on West Side Story together. So now he's looking for other properties to direct. And one of the ideas that he has is to do a musical version of what? what Ring is the, Around the Moon. Exactly. Yep. Now, uh, don't ask me what the playwright's name is. It's very French and weird. It is. Yeah, it's a very French name, and I'm I'm not no good at French. Yeah. But uh, this was a kind of a well-known play. It's still produced. It was produced they just down in, did San, it in Diego, San Diego very right? recently. Yeah. And they did a Broadway revival of it with Marion Seldes. <laughs> And it's just it's kind of along the same lines, right? Rich it's, people. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a love farce about rich people and poor people kind of mingling together, and the poor people coming in with a plan to try to take over the house in some ways. It is all in very general terms, mm-hmm. and it does have similar themes of like the people who sh- who should be together are not together, ended up together, and it does have kind of the you know the magical matriarch who is kind of sassy in a wheelchair, giving, like, the great one-liner and then being wheeled off. It's a fun little lark. So they reach out to the writer, or at least the lawyer who is overseeing the property, and they refuse to let them have it Mm -hmm. to musicalize. So they're like, oh, you're like, seriously? Uh, Do you know who we are? (laughs) So so then they move on, Uh and long story short, too late, what they land on is Ingmar Bergman's film, Smiles of a Summer Night. Yeah. Ingmar Bergman, of course, a legendary filmmaker uh, that I'd say most people in America don't know, but are probably the name influenced I think. by. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you hear a Bergman film, you have a very specific idea of right. what that would be. So He's the type of filmmaker who really changed how films look in terms of cinematography, close-ups, the way that he films close-up. They always talk about a Bergman close-up. And Smiles of a Summer Night is beautifully shot. Really? Beautifully shot. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Legitimately, there are some lines in the in the movie that are not even in the musical that are very, very funny, but it's shot beautifully. That's great. I don't know that I've ever watched a movie fully in um, Swedish. But literally, after a while, all you hear is brand, brand, brand. like it's literally how it sounds. It's Swedish Chef from um, from, from the, the Muppets. Muppet. It's surprisingly accurate, <laughs> and I sound like a rube right now. I have not. I don't have a lot of Swedish people in my life, so. <laughs> but it is kind of funny, like. Well, you were born. You were born in Israel, so I think you're. I was, you're given a pass on a that. A little one. farther away from from uh, from Sweden <laughs> than I'd like to be, but yeah, it's a lot of that. And then every once in a while, you'd hear. Um, um, Desiree says, like, she says a whole sentence and it ends with Brunda, 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 Frederick Egerman. And it's just, it's just so delicious the way they use, it really is, though, the way they use the language and the names. Like, Frederick Egerman. So now I kind of want to see a production of Little Night Music in Swedish. Oh, wow. I'm wondering if it's, I don't know. I'm sure it's been done, but I haven't found anything. I, I know that when, when they did the German production of A Little Night Music. Uh-huh. It's the only time that they actually used the title of the Bergman film. Because, because you can't. Because it would have been Ina Klein and which Knox is music, which Mozart. Is, which is Mozart. So if, can you imagine people buying tickets to Mozart and then they show up and yeah. 
and Petra's humping. <laughs> <laughs> they'd probably be okay with it. They'd probably they'd probably be like, well, this kind of fits. Why do you think? Why do you think he didn't call it Smells of a Summer Night? It was Bergman asked. Really? Oh, that, because he didn't want it to be too much like the. Mm-hmm. Like that the was movie. the only. That was his only uh, request. Is that when oh, they did the musical version that they changed the title, which was fine because Sondheim already knew that he wanted to call it a little night music. Oh. That was what he was going to call Evening Primrose, which oh. was this like TV musical that he wrote for Anthony Perkins, right? Where they're I'll take like, your word for it. Where they're like, it's it takes place in this um, department store, and then he finds out that kind of. Like Jordan Peele's Us, there are, there's this whole civilization of people living at the department store behind the walls and, like, they come out at night. Anyway, and they've never been outside. The guy falls in love with the girl and then and I remember Sky, like that famous song oh, is from yeah. that. Anyway, that was supposed to be called A Little Night Music and then they decided to name it after the short story on which it was based, which is Evening Primrose. So oh. he already had this title that he loved. And it fit perfectly for the show. No, it's great. And it, it I, I don't know that I ever completely until now understood where that title came from, but it, it does work. Mm-hmm. And it's perpetual night, sort of. I mean, yeah. it's funny because the Bergman movie has nothing to do with that. They That was one of the few things they put into the musical that did not come from the movie. Mm. The movie takes place over several days. It doesn't have anything to do with the sun not setting. Mm-hmm. I, I love that they inserted the whole idea of the sun not setting in Me it. too. Some of the best lyrics in the whole musical come from that whole concept, but... Amen. Yeah. Okay. Bergman, much to his credit, agrees for his property to be musicalized. Mm-hmm. Before that, however, Sondheim and Hal Prince work on several other shows, all of which are, you know, legendary mm-hmm. company follies. Neither of which, however, were huge financial successes. Company and follies both didn't make a lot of money. So then. Uh, at least according to Hal Prince, his next goal was to have a financial success. Always uh, a good goal to have. Right? <laughs> sure. So especially since Follies was so magnificent and lost so much money. I'm sure I'll do a Follies episode, but it was at the same time as Two Gentlemen of Verona, which was like a rock version of Shakespeare. And, yes. And you're like, oh, <laughs> there's obviously this counterculture type thing that is a little difficult to figure out. Musical theater in the 70s was a little strange, yeah. a little rough. I mean, in all honesty, and we just talked about with a friend of ours uh, this week about how without Sondheim, the 70s would have been a lot of forgotten rock musicals, mm-hmm. mostly. Truly. I mean, Sondheim, if you think about the 70s musical theater, you usually think about Sondheim. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The year that A Little Night Music came out, the other big show was Pippin. Mm-hmm. So you had all of the, and I mean, it is probably Hal Prince's fault, but you had these shows that had a real artistic point of view based on the director choreographer, yeah. you know, kind of from a conceptual place. Yeah. Pippin is not a really well-constructed musical. Uh, no. But, uh, no, I agree. You know, it's a, well, it's if- a fine show, but it also requires this really deft hand at mm. how you're going to be doing the storytelling. Because the concept is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very out there. So you have you have projects like that all throughout the 70s, mm-hmm. Pippin being a, a successful one. Mm-hmm. And then up next to it is A Little Night Music, which mm. is beautifully crafted. Yes. And yeah, exactly with a really with a really accessible storyline, delicately told mm-hmm. and funny if you do it right. There's an ease to it. There's an ease yeah. to the intellect. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly which fits with the show because mm-hmm. like I I only say that 
to me, Little Night Music is like a really greasy, yummy cheeseburger wrapped up in Swarovski crystals. It's like <laughs> the center of it is the center of it is very like love and sex and and rolling around in the hay and mm-hmm. all these things are happening that essentially kind of like fit inside of a sex farce, but it's presented in this sumptuous kind of beautiful, classy veneer that actually really fits it. And that's what makes the show special, I think, that it's both. So maybe this is kind of a return to a a more traditional structure Mm -hmm. for both of them, but also for the 70s. Yes. Where then they're like, all right, well, let's take a step, I don't want to say backward, but a step toward the more traditional and see what we can bring to it. And I think that the show is still feels very fresh and pushing boundaries in some ways. Well, it's a score. I mean, honestly, I would give most of the credit to that for that to the score. The fact that the whole thing is in some shape or form in three quarter time. I don't know that that's been done before. No. Um, so again, honestly, in an alternate universe where someone else scored whatever Smiles of the Summer Night ended up being as a musical, I don't think would have been a successful musical because it wouldn't be as uh, special. Agreed. So the book writer for A Little Night Music, his name's Hugh Wheeler, Mm -hmm. and he later wrote the script for Sweeney Todd as well. I think this was their first collaboration together, though. Mm. And he wrote his version of the book, and Sondheim said that when he read it, he felt like it was too straightforward, you know, especially coming out of Company and Follies, which were more conceptual. He felt like it was kind of boring and didn't like it. Mm. And... He said that his mentor, there's this woman that he always goes to, kind of like a Madame Armfeld, who uh, always gives him great advice. And what she said was, yes, this is straightforward and maybe a little outside of your preference, but it will give you an opportunity to really step up your pussy. It'll, <laughs> it'll give you an opportunity. A little night music. <laughs> step your pussy up. A musical. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but to just to really show people what you're made of. It's more of a challenge. Yeah, more of a challenge. Which, again, I think is why the score, to me, sounds very—it's it's a different Sondheim score. And Sondheim also has a lot of little melodic things he does that he loves to do in almost every show that he does. And and they don't really exist in Little Light Music. Mm. I remember yeah. when Into the Woods came out. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler hosted the Golden Globes that year. Do you remember this? I think so. And they had this great Sondheim joke where Tina Fey turned to Amy Poehler and said, Hey, hey, Amy, have you ever performed Sondheim? And she goes, No, I haven't, but I could. <laughs> Anyone can. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Yes. And that so, is. So Amy Poehler said it better than me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, but that you're right. That is missing from the score. Yeah. They, because uh, there's something more legato. It's such a, I sound so smart right now. Um, it's just a little more melodic, like I said. It just feels more, I don't know, it's like, a, it's like a warm kind of like melodic feel to it where a lot of Sondheim, even the best Sondheim, feels a little colder. Mm. So Okay, I'm dying to talk about the story, so let's just okay. jump in. Yeah. Okay, stop yelling. I'm so excited. Okay, let's do it. Picture this, a bare stage, a <laughs> piano, a person usually dressed really well comes in. Yes. Plunks down on the piano, goes la 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 la, <laughs> and an overture starts with a quintet. It's a quintet, right? Yes. It's a, and they all have names too, the, yeah, which is impressive. It's all Borgen, Jorgen, and Monken, <laughs> Flangen, and yeah. Mrs. Mrs. Something, Mr. Erlinson. We got Mr. Lindquist. Yes. Mrs. Anderson, Mrs. Segstrom, mm-hmm. Mrs. Nordstrom. 
Not to be confused with the department She's store. She's the one who created the department store. The That's the evening sequel. primrose was based on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Mr. Erlinson. And I think I could be this could be so wrong. I think they're named after some of the people who were involved with the with Smiles of a Summer Night. Oh, that's nice. Don't, don't email me or at me if I'm wrong. It doesn't matter. Just enjoy this tidbit, whether it's right or wrong. Well, it should be right if it isn't. Thanks. So they, they in. they're vocalizing, mm-hmm. and their vocalizing becomes the, the, overture. the overture of the whole show, mm-hmm. which is really, really fun, and introduces the audience to the style of the show, yes. which feels like a little night music. Well, oh. Wait, that should be the title of the show. (laughs) Which feels like a kind of an operetta or a song cycle concert. Which is why so many opera companies do it. Because they should. As they absolutely should. But what's interesting about that is that it's not, I mean, the show is not really an opera if you follow the rules of what an opera is. Absolutely. And I would even venture to say that one of the reasons I love this show so much is that the score and the script complement each other so well. Yes. I love listening to the music, but I'm not as satisfied with the music without those delicious book scenes. I agree. And if I were to sit down and read the script... I would be wanting the it's tough the waltzes to you know, not have yeah they really do complement each other so well. Which is interesting because if you look at the 2009 recording of the revival that Catherine Zeta Jones did, mm-hmm. they put a lot of book scenes in that recording. And when I listened to it at first, it was like, why did they do that? And I thought about it and was like, oh, because it all fits together really well. Yeah. Great. So the overture happens. Mm-hmm. Then my old lady with the wheelchair. She comes, comes in. Yes. And she is with her granddaughter. Yes. And she is, uh, her name is Madame Armfeld. Yes. She used to be a courtesan. Like she got her fortune because she played her cards really well. And yeah, actually she she's, playing, she's playing cards constantly. One of the big themes in the whole musical is, is set right here in this first scene between the old and the young. Mm-hmm. The theme of cycles, of time. Yeah, time. Of, you know, these kind of phases in our lives where yeah. you have, she says, she tells the, the young girl, the summer night sky smiles three times. Once on the young, once on the fools, yeah, no and then once on the old. The old. And Halperin said that the musical is about time. He said it's about wasting time. Which, once again, is such a perfect match for the, the score, which mm-hmm. is all based in waltzes, three, mm-hmm. four, time. meter in time. You, so you got time there. You've got the idea of night. Um, mm-hmm. And then all of these characters that represent phases of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a source of wisdom. Yes. She's not necessarily a, a source of warmth. <laughs> well, at the be- at the beginning. Uh, sure. Although the- I wish she was my grandmother. Like, oh, I absolutely. wish. Oh. But I think sometimes, like, we love that about old people. Yeah. They you just know? say what they want to say. Like, I've, I've lived everything, so I don't need to worry about your feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And... Listen to what I'm saying, not to how you're feeling. There's this great line that the same that Madame Armfeld has in the in the movie in Smile of the Summer Night, where she says, "I'm so bored of people. I wish I didn't love them so much." Oh, that's and I'm a like, great "Aw, line. me. Aw, same." <laughs> um, yeah, I just I love people, but sometimes I just want to be around my dog. Exactly. Yeah. Also, there's something very drag about 
Madame Arnfeld. She's like high drag. Oh yeah. Just like just the tea is being spilt and the shade is being thrown and Oh my gosh, I can't wait red. for somebody to do Madame Arnfeld on Snatch Game. Some nerd out there in a small town does Madame Arnfeld <laughs> to a, an audience of two. And, and just lip syncs <laughs> to liaison. Honestly, I, I I want you to do it, Jeffrey. No, absolutely oh, not. I can't pull off the wig at my skin tone. Okay, fine. Uh, the next thing we go to is the house of Frederick Eggerman. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. And Frederick, Fre- Frederick is like a middle-aged lawyer who has lost his first wife and mm-hmm. has remarried a young, young woman. Yes. They've been married for 11 months. She's still a virgin. Mm-hmm. They haven't consummated that relationship yet. No. To complicate matters even more, he has a son who's only a year older than the bride herself. Mm-hmm. So now she's like his new mommy, and that's she's very weird. weird. And he he's like a whole ball of existential he's crisis very himself. Angsty, and he has decided to deal with his like feelings of angst and confusion by essentially going to priest school. Yeah, he's in the know. seminary. That's he's, what he's, it is. Thank you. I'm a Jew. I don't know how it all works. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's studying in the seminary, but at the same time is also like everyone else in the show, horny and no idea what to do with it. Well, he's also deeply attracted to who is now his mother, essentially. And he ends up sort of letting a lot of them out or trying a lot of things out with Petra, who is willing and and, and totally consenting to all of this. Petra is the maid. The maid. And she uh, she's a pretty horny gal herself. She is uh, self-assured and sex-positive, is what we'll say, because it's true. Oh, that's good. She is, thank you. She is just a few years older than Anne, so they have kind of a, an interesting connection there. But they could not be more different in terms of their views on sexuality, because Anne is very nervous about it and some of it I'm sure has to do with repressingly not realizing that she's with the wrong person. It's also 1900 Sweden. Yes. So it's, you know, I guess it maybe wasn't that weird at the time. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, they have a whole conversation about that. So they ended up married, I think almost just because they both felt like it was a necessity. I don't Mm. know. Like he was supposed to be remarried. Yeah. And she was there. Might as well be someone who's beautiful and young. Yeah, exactly. That's a relatable story, I think, well, to a lot of people. Sure. And then she no doubt has the, what else is she supposed to well, do? Well, it's kind of also like, I'm sure it's kind of a father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's partly why implicitly she has not had sex with him. And she keeps saying later, 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 she has a song about it. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. And he's actually, in, all, to, in his defense, being very patient and not being creepy about it. Which I'll give him credit for. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, everyone involved is frustrated even if they're not really realizing it. They have this great trio of songs. Mm. There are three songs that just then happen to go together. And uh, the first one belongs to Frederick, and it's called Now. Mm-hmm. Once again, going back to the theme of time, right? Mm-hmm. All three of these songs, Now, Later, and Soon, all related to time and revealing where they are in their lives. So Frederick, talking about now, he wants to have sex with this girl. Yeah, and trying to figure out how to and how to do it, make it happen. Because there's like this uber masculine side of him that thinks I should just take her and ravish her because mm-hmm. that is what a man does. But wait, but then, that wouldn't work. But then also he's middle aged, and so there's a, there are some insecurities that come out. Yeah, I I love so many of the lyrics in this show that I f- I feel like I um, 
that song has my favorite, which is um, he's contemplating maybe just sitting in the nude. Yes. And he says, that might be effective. My body's all right, but not in perspective and not in the light, which again, me. Um, <laughs> same. It's just, it's so good. Because once again, he's feeling this pressure for lack of a better word, to to be a man. And, yeah. to, and But then at the same time showing, oh, but am I good enough? Yeah. You know, like, I love that. Well, and also they're both deeply, deeply aware of the age difference. And mm-hmm. she calls him dear old Frederick all the time. Yeah. So he decides to take a nap instead. Yes. Like any middle-aged Might as well man. nap, yeah. Like this isn't going to happen. It's, it's I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm just going to take a nap. Yeah. So he's trying to take a nap. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. his son, Henrik, uh, is practicing his cello. Being angsty with a cello. Yeah. Oh, why don't we do more of that? Ugh, angsty, angsty cello moments, people. We Let, need more of those. Let's channel our angst and anger into string instruments. He also, huh, there's something very, the way you hold a cello and do things with it and oh. the way he's sitting with it. You could look into that somehow. That's true. I'm just going to say that. That's a good point. There's something about it. And then that song also has that big crescendo which sounds climactic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, there's a lot. Someone of... thought about that when they crafted wait, it. Wait, are you telling me this show's about sex? Uh, no, no, it's a cello. Okay. Jeffrey, I'm just right. talking about the cello. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so because he's practicing the cello and very protective of mm-hmm. her sleeping husband, because at least then she doesn't have to have sex with him, yeah. runs out and says, Henrik, stop with all of that racket. Stop with playing your cello. Yeah. Do it later. Yes. Which then brings in his song, which is how everyone's always telling him later. It seems like he's just waiting to become something, but he doesn't know what it is. And nobody else seems to know what it is either. And yet they all expect him to be it. Well, it's he's he has so many questions, but he feels like everyone just goes later. Go away. You're an annoying kid. Mm-hmm. Which I, I, you know, I recognize growing up and feeling like that, too. So my I favorite understand. lyric in this song, because I've felt this so often as I've often stated, it's intolerable being tolerated. It's so good. Screw tolerance. Yeah, I want to be accepted and it's, loved. It's, and It's and, intolerable being tolerated. Yeah. Okay, so then that gives way to Anne Solo, which is called Soon. Soon, I promise. Yeah. Which is gorgeous. She's a Ugh, soprano. It's such a beautiful song. Now, let's talk about her because Sondheim as... Great as he is, his cynicism comes through most with his ingenue characters. Yes. He very rarely makes them as well-rounded as everyone else. Uh, okay. I'm Keep going. I'm, <laughs> no, I, I'm curious. I think when you— I think I see what for, you're saying. For example— Joanna. Yeah. Yeah. Jo- Joanna— um, it's almost like, you know, sometimes when we look at Romeo and Juliet, we're like, they're they're so stupid. Yeah. You know, when they completely forgot about everything. Yeah. We stop being smart human beings when we fall so passionately in love with mm-hmm. people. And I feel like that there's a thread of that always with his lovers in his stories. I mean, going back to Follies, there's something sad about seeing the lovers so innocently and earnestly connecting with each other, knowing how they're going to end up Yeah, later. it's a there's, comment on how that will not last. Yeah, there's an yeah. Ine- there's the inevitability of... It breaking apart. ...of nothing lasts, nothing stays gold. Yeah. You know? So I was trying to think, okay, and Anne is kind of a silly character. She's a silly person. I don't she, want to say she's a silly character, but she's... She, she it, starts out definitely as a frivolous mm-hmm. 
person who is very surface surface level. Mm-hmm. She talks mostly about earrings and clothes and everything. That's right. true. And then you sent me a clip of Laura Benanti playing mm-hmm. her and Laura Laura Benanti. Ben- Oh, is that how you if say she's it? listening? Oh, I always if I've always said Benanti. she has to explain it every time. Oh, really? Banana. Whenever we talk, yeah, no, <laughs> it's Bananti. Yeah, she's like right. banana. Yeah, oh, I heard an interview with her where she explained it. Okay, everyone, in case, stop calling her Bananti. It's not Bananti. It's Bananti. So Lara Bananti. Lara Bananti. <laughs> Lara Bananti is such an intelligent actor. Yeah, she's p- always playing these ingenues and then bring like a, a level of comedy and intelligence that you don't often see. Mm. And you sent me one with Anne, and I was like, oh, this is a different take on the character. Does it still work? Does it work for Anne to be this intelligent and also, you know, the same person who wouldn't sleep with her new husband for 11 months? I think it does. If you look at Soon as a song, to me it's a song about someone very carefully and kind of knowingly calculating what her place in that world is. Mm. I mean, she says, I promise I want to, I won't shy away. And then she gives out all those reasons why it's perfect for them to be together and why she's the perfect wife because she's withholding a little bit. I because feel like if she, I was perfect, then you, you tire wouldn't of want me. me. But this is someone who's sitting in front of a mirror looking and calculating, again, not in a negative way, mm-hmm. what her place in that world is and how she and how she fits into it and what she needs to do to make sure that she doesn't end up doing something she doesn't want to do, which I think is actually pretty smart. That's great. Oh. That's lovely. I yeah. love I she love all of smarter. those things. I agree too. And of course she ends up it, where she ends up in the show. Again, it's not like she suddenly grows up to be Madame Armfelt level mm-hmm. intelligence, but she learns something. She has to learn something. So she starts from a specific place and ends up somewhere different. Yeah. So it's good. And when the night smiles on the fools, she is not one of them. No, it's the old folks. Yeah. Yeah. Like the middle aged folks. Yeah. After now later soon, we meet Desiree. Armfeld, right? Yes. And does we've talked about her a little bit, and Frederick accidentally says her name when he's napping, which sends Anne into a tizzy. um, Because we later find out they've had a tryst. Like Frederick and Desiree had a whole fling happening before he lost his wife. Um, And finding Anne. And finding Anne. So there was a little interim time when Frederick and Desiree had a thing going on. And it almost seems like the one that got away. Yeah, yeah, but without them realizing it, mm-hmm. because they were just in completely different places in their lives. Absolutely. And Desiree is an actress who tours around and doesn't stay put. And the yeah. tour that she is currently in is coming to, you know... Wherever they are. Where, in Sweden, yes. to the city where uh, Frederick and Anne live. Mm-hmm. So that's how we meet Desiree, is coming into town to do this, uh, to do her play. Mm-hmm. She's a, a, a celebrated actor, and... The Glamorous Life is the song that kind of introduces her lifestyle, yes. which I think is so smart. Uh, it's a, it's such a good song. It, there's a level of humor to it mm-hmm. because it's called The Glamorous Life, and yet it's revealing how unglamorous it is Mice to be an actor. Mice in the hallway, youngish admirers, which one is that one? Every yeah, time. Scarfing, like wolfing down a sandwich. <laughs> unpack the luggage, la la la, pack up the luggage, unpack the luggage. Kind of monotony. And, it, it's, yeah. I sing it in my head every single time I'm out of town, and I'm like, yeah. all right. Here we go again with the luggage. Am I going to unpack and put it in the hotel room, or maybe I should just live out of the suitcase because it's yeah, you know, yeah. It introduces that kind of lifestyle that she's leading, which at the time with a young daughter out of wedlock was mm. unusual. And it's also most of the things that we hear from her are letters that she's writing to mm-hmm. her daughter. 
<laughs> and it's always like, I'm so sorry, I'm a terrible mother. Gotta run. Gotta run. I think another one of the great themes explored in the show is the sacrifices that one makes in your personal mm-hmm. life when you're an artist. Mm-hmm. You know? Because you're an incredibly talented person. Thank you. Everyone that I talk to agrees. Mm. And yet you've taken a step back from performing as a profession. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I got a day job and then kind of got very seduced by paid vacations and, <laughs> and um, health insurance. Um, yeah, I took a step back. I mean, to talk about it personally, there was a long time when I was doing a lot of theater, which was great, but also doesn't pay enough, unfortunately. And um, we we really struggled that with regional. Yeah, yeah. and so you, you it doesn't pay enough. And I ended up taking a lot of jobs, and some of them I wasn't really that passionate about. So for me personally, and I think everyone does things own. differently. Of course. Personally, for me, when I got the opportunity to step back a little bit, and we're talking about like I mean I've been doing theater for a long time. So for me, later in my life, now that I'm 35, it made more sense for me to step back from it a little bit, which, spoiler alert, is kind of, I think, implicitly what Desiree does by the end of this show. She chooses to to maybe be around her family a little bit more. But mm-hmm. I don't know everyone should everyone should do whatever makes them happy. But I understand that. I, I get it. This is a personal question, but are you happier now? Yes. Yeah, I am. Um, yes, of course. Of course. I, you know, it's not like I don't wish I could do more theater, especially if I could do more projects that I care about. Yeah. But absolutely, I'm happier now. I remember specifically a lot of times when I was doing more theater because I had to do it because I didn't have any other source of income besides like doing graphic design on the side. That's unrelated. Uh, there were a lot of times where I was anxious and uh, felt burnt out and um, not happy and a little frantic. So like I feel, health insurance, health insurance. Yeah, well, it's just like I feel I feel calmer and happier now for sure. But, um, you know, uh, yeah. it's nice to be able to still do it. Yeah, it's for sure. Good, and it feels more special, which is kind of nice. Oh, but, that is nice, too. But so I am Desiree Armfeld <laughs> is what we're trying to say. Let's <laughs> move um, over Vanessa Williams. <laughs> the other thing about, right, the other thing about the, the that song specifically that I think is brilliant is that we learn a lot about her relationships with uh, the people in her life in a very, like, short period of time because it's one song. You learn so much about her relationship with her daughter and her mother because that's... That's, that's tumultuous. Yeah. So Madam Armfeld, the older lady basically took the daughter away from her because she took was her in. yeah she was the daughter was on tour with her mom you mm-hmm. know going living this quote unquote glamorous, glamorous life. life yeah and the grandmother made up both of their minds and said this is not good for her she's going to come and live with me mm-hmm. so that right off the bat is a source of you know contention not to mention that these are two very strong women uh, with oh, a, yeah. with a lot of history and uh, are constantly butting heads. Uh, yeah. So Frederick gets tickets for he and Anne to go see the play. Yeah, They're sitting in their box seats. The play is happening. Desiree's on stage, and she locks eyes with Frederick. Mm-hmm. And Remember. Anne notices it. Freaks out. It you know causes even more insecurity because now maybe her plan to you know, use her sexuality to figure out her life isn't going to last. No. You know, there's a it's a ticking time bomb now. Yeah. So she creates a scene and makes Frederick take her home. Yes. We can then fast forward to, I guess we can go to the dressing room then, right? Yeah, because he takes her home and then leaves. So he takes her home 
Well, he takes her home, and they sort of almost catch Henrik and Petra having their little thing. Because while this is happening, Petra is very gamely trying to teach Henrik the ways of, you know, sex and life. And Henrik is trying to make things happen with Petra disastrously. Poor Henrik. Poor, poor Henrik. Couldn't even make that happen. So then Frederick drops off Anne at home and then goes back to... The theater. Mm-hmm. Is it to the theater? He to- goes to the theater to Desiree's um, dressing room for uh, what is essentially the booty call. Yeah. Yeah. He, he shows up. Oh, my gosh. We haven't seen each other in forever. Yes, please sit down. Have a drink. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm married. Oh, really? Then mm-hmm. why are you here? Oh, well, sh- but you should meet her. She's wonderful. She's fantastic. A great song. And it, this is a true scene song. <sighs> you know, it's wonderful. Yeah. He reveals, she's fantastic, she's wonderful, but also we haven't had sex yet. We've been married a year. Record scratch. Right. Are you kidding me? She's a monster. Mm -hmm. To cut to the end. Essentially, like, how about giving me one for all time's sake? Yeah, so for all time's sake, do you mind if we have sex? And she's like, absolutely, what are friends for? (laughs) Again, who, who amongst us hasn't? Had that situation <laughs> happen to them. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so yeah. as he has told her that he's married, mm-hmm. she tells him, I'm not married, but I am sleeping with this guy who is married. Mm-hmm. He's a dragoon. And he's this military guy. He's basically Gaston. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, same exact. Basically, it's the same character. And he... It's this really bizarre side of chivalry where he almost feels like he's doing everyone a favor by having both a wife and a oh, mistress. Yeah. I'm taking these women are pitiful and and poor and look, I'm allowing them both to suck my. And a weird <laughs> yes, yes, amongst other things, I hope. Um, and this weird like double standard of if one of them ever tries to to uh, to cheat on me, boy, I right, right, yeah, exactly. Very strange, like morality. strange double standard. Yes. So he comes back into town right after they've finished. I don't know if they finished. They don't tell us. This isn't passion. We don't see them fucking in the beginning. So we just don't know. I mean, what are we in? 1994? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, times were simpler in the 70s. So he comes into the dressing room, catches them both in robes. They have to create this crazy story as yeah. to why they're naked. Why he's in a well wearing his nightshirt, basically. Right. Yeah. So the story that they come up with is that since he's a lawyer, he's always been Madame Armfeld, the mother's lawyer. Mm-hmm. He came to get some paper signed. He falls into the bath. So then he has to get out of his wet clothes yeah. in order for them to dry. And that's why that's why he's there. And that's why they're naked. And meanwhile, <laughs> you know, the... Um, what, what is his name? So we can just call him by his name. Uh, um, Malcolm. Um, uh, Magnus. Magnus. He's got like five names. Magnus, Malcolm, Count, Count, Olaf, Shmolaf. I don't know. <laughs> Jorgen, Schmorgen. It's, I know that it's Malcolm. Yeah. Um, um, call Magnus. Call, call Magnus. Is it? No, I'm exactly right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Call Magnus, Malcolm. Okay. So Carl Magnus, CM. Carl Magnus, uh, he's, he doesn't believe it for one second. He just kind of buy. I mean, he buys it, sort of. He buys it enough to, I think, have sex with her. Well, right? no. What ends up happening is he asks the lawyer to leave. He's like, right. "Well, I'm here now, so you can go." Yeah. So he and he does, and then <laughs> he, he like stays with her. I'm like, well, he now does. Now I'm thinking about like poor Desiree, man. Whew. 
Oh, she's doing fine. I mean, she's she doesn't care. In the in the Bergman movie, it's very clear that she thinks the whole thing is hilarious. Oh, okay. Also, uh, even in the musical, if I'm not mistaken, there's that great moment where she brings out his clothes and they're soaking wet, and it's like, why did you actually? Why did you have to soak my clothes? Right. We like were this was like you're really selling the story. We but were lying to, to my detriment. <laughs> yeah, it isn't helping anybody. God bless. The next thing we see is Carl Magnus going home. Yeah. To his wife, right? Yeah, because he's married to uh, Charlotte Malcolm. Who we all love. I love, I love me some Charlotte. Because she's just uh, dry as bones. She's dry. Sassy, yeah. smart. And you're like, why on earth would you be cheating on this woman? She seems like Ugh, everything. She's amazing. Well, and by the end, spoiler, by the end of the show, he kind of realizes it thanks to her machinations. But sure. She deserves better than him, that's for sure. But he sings his song that's... It's called In Praise of Women, and it's basically just him like rationalizing women's place in the world while also obsessing about what the heck was going on in that room. Why was a lawyer there? He mentioned papers. Where were the papers? She Mm -hmm. couldn't do that to me. She wouldn't do that to me. Blah, blah, blah. Just... Um, just very toxic masculinity. Yeah. Hashtag toxic masculinity. Exactly. Who says this show isn't relevant? Hello. No one. No one. He tells his wife what went down. It's really interesting that they have... It's like an open marriage. It's an open relationship. But... Only open from one side. Yes, exactly. He tells her exactly what went down. She's like, oh, no, that's terrible because my little sister's best friend in school was Anne, Mm -hmm. you know, the new wife. Yeah. So I should probably go have lunch with her and let her know so that she finds out from someone who cares about her instead of some, you know, gossip. Exactly. Even though really she's spilling the tea, but sure. Sure. They go to lunch. She tells... Anne about the hip bath. <laughs> the hip bath. And Anne is, you know, devastated, of course, mm-hmm. which allows Charlotte also the opportunity to finally open up about how, how she feels about her marriage. She is about her own marriage yeah. and her life. And she's seeing, they both sing every day a little bit. We're we, getting redundant, but it's such a good song. It is. Maybe I think the most, actually, the most beautiful song in the score. Also, this is a tangent, but one of three songs in the score that are a deceptive waltz. It doesn't sound like a waltz. Mm. He got very creative. Yeah. This song, weirdly enough, um, Now, the first song, and Weekend in the Country are all songs that if you just listen to them sound like they're in in 4-4. But if you actually look at the street music, it's in 6-8, and it doesn't sound like a waltz, but it is. It's crazy. Sometimes crazy. What I love about Everyday Little Death is that it's a song about love and marriage, and yet it's called Everyday Little Death. <laughs> well, and fun fact, a little death in French means orgasm, in case you're wondering. Did oh, you know that? No, I didn't. Le petit mort is what the French call an orgasm. Is a little ah, death. Yeah. Wow. Again, it's a show. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes the about. French drive me crazy. Well. Like, me too. Get over yourself. Those French. So pretentious. I know. I hope no one French is listening to this. We love you, France. Yeah, le petit mort. I mean, I'll go to a bakery anytime. We'll go to, you know what? We'll go to Au Bon Pain. <laughs> we'll, 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 still, we'll still go there. I have a Lupin Quotidien. Lupin Quotidien. Right next to me. Bread so. a day. Yeah. But it, it is, it's beautiful because it's talking about how... I mean, we hurt each other in marriage. All the little ways. All the little ways that kind of chip away at our souls mm-hmm. when when we open ourselves up to being loved. And as a married man, I can I can assure you that is true. But, <laughs> and to quote Next to Normal, like, that's the price of love, but we pay it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Is Next to Normal basically the same musical as Little Night Music? Discuss. <laughs> Has <laughs> Alice Ripley played Desiree Armfeld? Alice would be amazing. She'll be great. Yeah. I'm sure she's done it. I wanted she's to see, it. for a long time, I just really wanted to see Emily Skinner as Petra. Oh! She still could. You think she could still I think she could. Petra, well, no, she has to be a specific age, you're right. That would be another great Armfeld. Uh, Emily, yeah. Well, they could alternate, and no one would notice the difference <sighs> if they do it right. Because yeah, they still get confused for each other all the time. Well, maybe Vanessa wouldn't want to do the full eight shows. Vanessa probably wouldn't. She's busy. So maybe maybe Emily would take over, you know, matinees like Donna. We are now we're now having three different people (laughs) play. It's a great role. It needs three different people. Has Rachel York ever done it? No. I I ask because the Desiree and the Bergman movie looks exactly like Rachel York. Really? That's all I could think about the entire time. Just like seven feet tall. Seven feet tall. Her face with like that great strong jaw. I don't know. Okay. Welcome to Casting Desiree, (laughs) a podcast by Jeffrey Scott Parsons and Tom Zohar. This makes me happy. Uh, Okay. Every Day a Little Death ends. Then, oh, we skipped liaisons. No, we didn't, did we? Mm-hmm. It happens before Everyday Little Death. Mm-hmm. It does. It happens as uh, they're getting busy in the dressing room. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, so okay. Uh, okay. when they're having their liaison, then old lady Madame Armfeld comes out in her chair to talk about how the you know the world is going to hell in a handbasket yeah. be- because of how people fall in love these days. Sex used to be this fun way to move up in the world. Yeah, it used to be transactionary, and now everybody's falling in love when they have sex. And it was so much better when it was transactionary and you ended up with a mansion or and and all the lovers that she's had, which actually the way that she describes it sounds really fun, so (laughs) good for her. It's also really fun to just hear an old lady like that because you would think that somebody like that would be stodgy and and you know rigid about yeah. morals and that's she, what's great about her character she's like no y'all are being too serious about this yeah like just have sex and get what you need out of it it's a pleasurable means to a measurable end like <laughs> i saw the Catherine zeta jones revival or should i say the angela lansbury revival where angela lansbury was playing madame armfelt and was Total master class. Oh, yeah. You know, talk about someone who's just completely in control of their craft. And, yeah. and And it was just a joy to watch somebody like that work on stage. Sure. Here's the thing, though. The song Liaisons is when I'm reminded that, like, I'm a small town boy because my mind always wanders. Like It's okay. I, I will be sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to really pay attention to this song this time. And every single time my mind just goes, whoop. Jeffrey, you're not Flies alone. Away. Don't feel bad, please. But honestly, though, like, it never ends. And then suddenly it does because she literally falls asleep because yeah. she's bored. Exactly. I mean, the, <laughs> it knows. It's self-aware enough to, yeah. to know that she she keeps getting lost in Where her thoughts. Where was I? Where was I? Where was I? Yeah. But the, he rhymed liaisons with raisins. And you know what? Kudos. So. Kudos. So smart. Okay. The original Madame Armfelt was Hermione Gingold, who is reticent. She's the original, you know, Mayor Shin's wife in, yeah. in the film version of Music Man and is, you know, kind of pure camp. Who she is in one role is who she is in every role. Yeah, the personality. And, yeah, and hilarious and, you know, body in a way, uh, in her very British way. And she really wanted to come in for the production and Sondheim thought she was completely wrong for it. Be- based on her type and the and the and her Just career, more yeah, yeah, it's sure, like it's sure. like that we're supposed to believe this woman was a courtesan, you know, yeah, and um, a courtesan shot, 
And <laughs> Jeffrey, <laughs> are you proud? That's funny. Just make you proud. Anyway, but but he let her. You know, he's like, all right, well, but she's who she is. She should absolutely come in an audition. Yeah. She comes into audition. She doesn't have a song prepared, and they're like, oh, well, you're going to need to sing. Sondheim wrote five of these songs in rehearsals, so he didn't mm-hmm. have a full score because he wanted to know who the actors were. He said, okay, I'm going to at least need to hear you sing something so I know your range. So she sang this old Like a musical? A musical. Musical, yeah. Yeah. So she sang this old musical song that was very charming. And then she did the the scenes, which were very charming, but he still didn't think that she was right. Mm. And she goes, thank you all for letting me. Actually, I'm going to read it. Read it, please. I want to know. It's so perfect. She thanked us for allowing her to audition against our better judgment. Not that anyone had told her such a thing. She had merely assumed we would think her wrong for the part. She then added, I noticed that in the script, Madame Armfeld is 74 years old. Coincidentally, gentlemen, so am I. I also noticed that when she dies at the end, the stage direction indicates that her wig slips a bit off her head. Well... And with that, she lifted off her wig, revealing herself to be completely bald. As the clang of three jaws hitting the floor died away, she thanked us once again and left the stage. And we decided to give her the part before she left the theater. Ladies and gentlemen, she literally snatched her her wig off. And there wasn't another wig underneath. Right. (laughs) Drag race, uh, uh, drag race, queens who do it now owe it all to Hermione Hermione Gingold. That's right. Isn't that phenomenal? That's the best story I've ever heard. I'm going to start doing that. (laughs) Even though I don't have a wig, I'll get one. I don't care. We're now we're getting into a weekend in the country, which is the Act One finale, which is the best Act One closer before Defying Gravity. There was Weekend <laughs> in the Country, and there was Defying Gravity. I saw a production of Little Night Music where I gave them a standing ovation and a intermission because of how good their Weekend in the Country really? was. So yeah, shout out Signet Theater. Um, I'm so happy to hear them. that. I'll name them. It's Dude, fine. We we love them. Yeah. We have so many friends. Yes, Weekend in the Country. Desiree decides that. Basically, Frederick would be a great father for his daughter. Well, she realizes that that her daughter needs a father figure Mm -hmm. and that she actually would really like to maybe settle down with a man, which good for her. Yeah, good for her. So she talks to her, you know, her mom Mm -hmm. and says, hey, let's invite Frederick and Anne up for the weekend, mm-hmm. and I'll get my claws in there, and then everything will live happily ever after. Yes. So they send out invitations to to Frederick and Anne. Anne receives the invitation, and of course, she's already feeling insecure oh, no! about yeah. about Desiree. Yes. And now I have to spend an entire weekend with her, knowing that there's this thing between and them. And Petra's really excited about it, so she doesn't understand what the hell right. is wrong with Anne, but she just doesn't want to do it. By the way, when was like this weird pillow, pillow fight between... Petra and Anne that almost feels like they could make out at any So second. it happens in the Bergman movie also. Yeah. And it in the Bergman movie, they are full on under the covers, and then she kind of kisses her and leaves. I don't remember exactly when it happens. It's, it's, it's early. It's in the it's first act, though, right? It's early in the show, yeah. Petra's just, like, getting her kicks whenever she— Petra like doesn't you care. Said, sex positive. Petra is sex positive, possibly bisexual. Bisexual icon, I'll, I'll call it. <laughs> um, no, I mean, she's—I she's, love her because she's just, like— Whatever, I'm just having fun. It's exciting yeah. to someone like her. Which is kind of cool that someone in her position, we would basically call her the help, Yeah, is living life to her its oh, fullest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So she gets the invitation. She's freaking out. Which is when she goes to Charlotte and, and goes, look at this ridiculous thing. I'm not going. And Charlotte right. is like, uh-uh-uh. You should absolutely go yes. because you're going to be up against a middle-aged woman. Like, he's going to see how beautiful you are. And, you know, old Desiree is just going to keep withering. Wear your hair down in a flower. Don't yeah. use makeup dressed in white. She'll grow older by the hour and be hopelessly shattered by Saturday night, which is, Sometimes I don't know how you get than I could better do. than that. Yeah. And yeah. so then she's like, oh, okay. Well, okay. then, then we're going. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte tells... Carl Magnus. Carl Magnus. <laughs> Who is shooting. Uh, babe, you should probably know that this woman that you're really possessive about has just invited Frederick up to yeah. his house for the weekend. Carl Magnus says, well, then we're going too. And she's like, we weren't invited. And yeah. he said, we're going. we're going. And she's like, oh, crap. I know. Like that backfired. Yeah, that was not what I was expecting. So now they're all going mm-hmm. to the country for the weekend. The country. And it's uh, it sets up the second act beautifully. We're yes. so excited to come back from intermission. Oh, it's so good. Okay, so when I saw in New York, once again, this revival, mm-hmm. I was in the standing room. And so uh, I have this really fun memory of... My feet were killing me from walking around all day, and then I was standing for all of Little Night Music. Uh, and so I, like, quietly took my shoes off. And <laughs> Jeff, for, for, for listeners, I'm just gawking at him for doing that. Go ahead. Um, but they were, they were, like, really easy on and off okay. type, type shoes. And so and I was just like, oh, my gosh, my poor flat feet. And, and then, like, I, I knew Weekend in the Country so well that I was like, okay, when it reaches this point, that's when I need to start putting on my shoes. <laughs> so, that, so when the lights came up for, you know, intermission, that I was like, this is wonderful. This is just lovely. Isn't, isn't this just the most oh, elegant, refined that I'm wearing. <laughs> so good. Do you take your shoes off on airplanes? No. Okay, good. Thank you. I had no. a moment where I was like, Jeffrey, where else do you take your I'm shoes not off? That, I'm not that person. You're In not fact, that girl. Fun fact, I can't type shoelaces very well. It takes me like a full 15 minutes. <laughs> Um, so I prefer slip-ons. So usually the shoes I wear don't. They, they, I can slip it on, on, on and off. So I, I get it. Jeff, it's fine. You took your shoes off. It's yeah. a weekend in the country. They're not wearing shoes. They're not. Thank I you. also remember Catherine Zeta-Jones making her big entrance for for Glamorous Life, mm. and me thinking, "Oh, yeah, that's a star." Oh yeah. You know what I Especially mean? Especially the costume they gave her that black, yes. like, ugh. like she she walked in, and I was just like. Uh, I don't know if I had ever quite had that rush over me yeah. before. And, I mean, she was she was fine in the show. Like, I didn't think she was the best Desiree Poor I've ever so seen. Poor thing was so sick at the Tonys. Like, yeah. I was watching her going, she is nervous. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you can't really teach star power, and she had it. I'll tweet her, just yeah. in case. Yeah, I'll reach out to Kathy. I'll hey, be like, Kathy. Hey, Kat. Yo, yo, C, C dog. <laughs> Hey, hey, CZ, 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 Oh my gosh, I would, I would love to call Catherine Zeta Jones CZJ. Yo, CZJ, what you up to, girl? What's up? All right, so Act Two starts. Yes, and we're out at the country. Yes, and the the group of singers is is discussing the fact that the sun refuses to set. Because it's Sweden. It's it probably Sweden. is kind of true. I don't know. If it does... It's a thing that happens. Yeah. It's like, it's like I don't know all the details about it. Do at me if you know more details about it. But there's <laughs> at least at least one night a year or a few years. I don't know when. When the sun won't really set, it just kind of dips down and then rises again. So it's uh, perpetual. It's perpetual. It smells three times. <laughs> perpetual sunset. One of the first songs in the second act is of is for Carl Magnus and Frederick. 
and they're singing about Desiree and how she's kind of their perfect woman. Boy, do I skip this song every time I listen to it. That's okay. Men singing, I'm just like, okay. I, I, right, I feel right. the same way. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, okay. Well, I'm glad you're singing Men Bye. Like, no, there was a time in my life when I looked at my <laughs> iTunes store and I was so embarrassed by how gay it looked <laughs> that I was like, all right, I need to buy something that besides Alice Ripley... <laughs> I mean, truly, because I just had Alice Ripley and Emily Skinner's albums. And, Good. And I was like, okay, what can I do? So I bought Seal and Bon Jovi. <laughs> Jeffrey, you went all the way to the other side of the spectrum. Bon Jovi, that's a choice. But also, that's but, I also... Mean, is it, is it to be really? Fair, no, now that you mention it, I'm like, that's also pretty clear. I mean, it's kind of... It's it's like a, a 40-year-old yeah. woman who's like, who's like, I love Seal. You went from gay boy to 40-year-old woman. We stand, honestly. I like that progression for you very much. Uh, that gives way to... Look, I love a good dinner party scene. Yes. And this one has this a great one, dinner party scene. This one is this one is mystical. It's magical. It it's is comical. In the new revi- or the newest revival, they all sat on pillows, which Weird. I thought was an interesting choice. Not right, I'm but like, okay. I'm like, Madame Armfeld doesn't own a dining it's table. It's supposed to be <laughs> sumptuous, but sure. <laughs> it's so funny. I also love that it's um, in the movie and in every production I've seen. It's set so that Madame Armfeld is sitting in front of a whole row of everyone else, which is such a power play from Madame Armfeld. Like it is. You're right. Screw y'all's conversation. I'm presiding. I am presiding here. You're exactly. I right. have this special. Wine, by the way, with magical properties. The <laughs> nobody knows quite what it is. <laughs> well, they okay <laughs> in the Bergman movie, she gives the ingredients. Oh, are you ready? I can't wait. It's a drop of mother's milk and a drop of the seed from a stallion. Yummy! <laughs> Speechless. Yes, I've never been. So grateful to be sober in my life. I am. I all contraire. I want that in every juice I drink. I put it in my sippy cup. Put in my thermos. Yes. Uh, So the you know our favorite our favorite vocalists come out and sing perpetual anticipation. Yes. Which is. Good for the heart, good for the soul, good for the soul, but, but bad, bad for, for the, the heart, heart. Which I right. kind of understand. Anyone with anxiety gets that. In this dinner party, mm-hmm. Charlotte starts flirting big time with Frederick to try and make her husband. Just make. part of the plan that that Desiree and Charlotte have about breaking that whole thing up. Because Desiree doesn't want Carl Magnus anymore. No, she just wants she w- she just wants Frederick. But, like, for realsies. Do they have a moment in the musical? Because I know they do in the movie. But in the musical, do they have a moment where they talk to each other about how, hey, I know we're enemies, but let's work together? I think so. I can't remember. But I think you're right. As you said it, I was like, yes, absolutely, they have this plan. It's also great. It's two strong women who don't get along being like, you know what? Screw our rivalry. Let's work together. Right. Women. So Charlotte gets uh, super drunk and is flirting with Frederick the entire time, which is just pissing off her husband to no Carl Magnus end. is having a bad dinner. Yeah. yeah. As though, like, she's embarrassing herself. And it's right. like, dude, you're embarrassing. You're the embarrassing one. But Frederick is like, oh, you're just delightful. You just think it's funny. Yeah. Henrik. Speaking of embarrassing. Is, has had enough. Exactly. Of grownups and their bullshittery. So he stands up and just kind of yells at everybody and has a, a, a emo- has a breakdown, yeah. like emotional breakdown, and then runs out of the room. It smashes a glass, yes, and then runs out of the room. 
Carl Magnus, this is actually kind of an interesting thing. So Carl Magnus finally decides that he's going to find out the truth between these two Mm -hmm. and asks the old lady, Madame Armfeld, is Frederick actually your lawyer? Because I have heard that he has come here several times and is a friend of Desiree's, you know, Mm -hmm. to finally get to to the truth of what's going on. And Madame Armfeld basically says, I haven't been paying attention to any of this conversation (laughs) because you all are boring. Legend. And, legend, and then introduces the dessert wine, and is and then leaves the stage. <laughs> she's a legend. She's so a quan. She is a quan. She's an actual quan. Thank you. Yeah. So the so dinner Hen- is a disaster. So yeah, dinner's a total disaster. Yeah. Anne's also upset because of Henrik. She tries to go after him. Frederick gets mad. Mm-hmm. Anne has this like kind of tender feelings toward Henrik as well that you start seeing. Yeah, she cares about him and yeah. and is worried about him. Um, well, she's in love with him. She just doesn't quite realize it. Exactly. Yeah. And so then the dinner scene, the dinner scene comes to an end. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, because otherwise somebody would have been stabbed. That a table would have been flipped on Madame Armfelt, or the other way around, for right. all we know. Yes. Maybe that's why there wasn't a table in the revival. <laughs> because she would have flipped. Because other, there's no other choice. <laughs> Desiree is like, we know that Mother has a penchant for flipping tables, so we're gonna just not bother with it at this point. The next big scene is between Frederick and Desiree. They kind of have a DTR, determine the relationship. I like that. Yeah. I like it. Mm-hmm. And Frederick basically says, I need to be true to my wife. Yeah. I'm happy where I am, he mm-hmm. says. And yeah. this scene originally was Frederick's scene. And so Sondheim was planning on writing a song for him. And then the more that they thought about it, they realized that Desiree had two songs in the first act, both of which were duets. And so this was really the moment to give her a solo. Mm-hmm. And Glynis Johns was the original Desiree Armfeld, yeah. also known as Sister Suffragette from Mary Poppins. <laughs> Best off the shackles of yesterday. I mean, talk about icon. Love her so much. Yes. And so much of the role is built around her skill set. And she can carry a tune, but certainly it's not. She has a very raspy but light voice. Sondheim calls it silvery, which I find interesting. Yeah. Um. And so knowing her voice and what she was capable of, uh, specifically in terms of breath support, because her her tone is kind of whispered and raspy, he decided that the song should have short phrases, mm-hmm. and short phrases could be questions. Like that's a really Isn't easy it way. Rich? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to hold it. Are we a pair? So and you don't so have to one, hold it. So once he he realized all of that, he said the send in the clowns which is probably one of his most popular songs, most successful songs. I think it's boring as hell. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. But it's certainly a song that, from a pop culture standpoint... Barbara did it, Frank Sinatra did it, who hasn't done it, yeah. Judy Collins Uh was one of of the people who recorded it, I think, two years after it premiered on Broadway Mm -hmm. and won the Grammy Award for Song of the Year. Good. Which is incredible. So I don't know of any other... I mean, certainly since then, any other song from a musical that, that, became popular. That, that won a Grammy Award for Song of the Year. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> so this was the song that he wrote for her. And Full-on acting song. At the same time, I think on some level when I was younger, I was trying to figure out why 
Why were we talking about clowns? Like, it seemed like such an interesting... I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's like an old-timey stage thing of, like, if something falters on stage, when in doubt, just send in the clowns. Right. So that it's what's happening is this uh, this actress who is very in touch with herself and knows what she's doing and very calculated in her actions and always got a quip or, like, a way of dealing with awkward situations has found herself in a situation where she doesn't know her lines, she doesn't know how to get out of it. She's out of quips, and she's going, well, I guess I've just hit a wall here, and I don't know where to, what to do next, so someone help me and send in the clowns. And while saying that, she's realizing, wait, where are the clowns? We're the, we're the demos here. And isn't that brilliant? Because it goes right back to the theme of the summer night smiles at the young the and then the fools. Exactly. And I think that as I grew older and got to know the show better, I'm like, oh, that's why they're clowns. Yeah. From there... Do we go to Pet, Petra Is and that Freed? one Petra and Freed have their little let's, tourist regardless, in the grass? Let's, let's talk about it now. Freed gets a line finally. He gets a line. <laughs> and it's something very poetic. And Freed's character— Oh, I don't know if we've even talked about him at this point. He's the butler. Oh, we're going to talk about Freed. He's the butler for— He wheels um, Armfelt around. Yeah. He is always, in every situation I've ever seen of any production of it, the hottest person in the cast. <laughs> Basically, when they look for a Freed, they go, oh, are you six feet tall and muscular? Cool. Because he doesn't have to sing, and he doesn't have to really say that much. He has, like, literally one line. All you have to do is roll around with Petra in the grass, normally shirtless, normally in suspenders, um, like Skimble Shanks in the movie, Um Always hot. If I remember correctly, on your old Tinder profile, it said preferred type freed. Yeah. It's actually, I, I still say it to anyone who'd hear. It doesn't matter if I'm married or not. Okay. The little tryst with, uh, <laughs> tryst with freed ends in a song for Petra. Well, and so what happens is when they show up at the mansion for the weekend of the country, Petra, as any, any smart person would do, looks for whatever's around for her to have some fun with. I'm going to say that... There are a lot of my listeners who would probably say, I have never done that. Well, some of you have. <laughs> Jeffries, you're welcome to cut and I this just, out. And I just want to be the voice of those people. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so there's the devil talking to you and an angel sitting across from him. <laughs> Jeffrey, I'm trying to appeal to your more jaded listeners. Yeah, no, I get it. Like, Because heaven knows I've talked about church and and love so Which much we on love. this podcast. I'm here to talk about <laughs> hell and sex. <laughs> Two things Jews don't believe in. Um, no, I, I, listen, again, sex positivity is important, joking aside, yes. and I think Petra is, I, that's kind of what I love about her as a character. And then she has a song that is as much, oh. as raucous as she is, but also has a twinge of melancholy. Yeah. And I think it's so, it's It it's ends a, on really a beautiful. minor every time. Mm-hmm. So she talks about one day she's going to marry, you know, a successful man. She's going through a roster, basically, of all yeah. the people that she would love to marry someday. But then after she talks about this man that she's going to marry, she just says, in the meanwhile, meanwhile yeah. I'm going to, you know, have my fun. Sondheim opens up his thesaurus and just finds all the alliterations that you could possibly find in a patter song. It's a very short road from the pinch and the punch to the paunch and the pouch and the pension. I mean, guys. It's a very short road to the 10,000th lunch and the belch and the grouch and the sigh. I mean. Ugh. I mean. It's so good. Peh. Just like all the pez. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just, it, it's, and, and the woman who gets cast as Petra runs away with the show. Just run, one song, it's like Fontaine. You run away with the show 
And if you're good enough, you may not even put it back. Like, you may just run away with it forever. <laughs> it's mine. It's mine. Why, why do you think it is sad? Why do I think it ends on a melancholy note? Yeah, do you, because every time she is talking about, you know, marriage, it keeps going back to that, that minor key. Again, I know I talk about it a lot. I'm going to go back to the movie because in the movie it's a lot more explicit that this is a woman who wants to get married. I think, honestly, part of it is because she actually wants to get married. Mm. And she's thinking about all the fun she's having, but every time she reaches the end of those moments, it goes back to a minor note because she realizes, but at the end of the day... Here's what I'm actually looking for. Because up until this point, we've just known her as kind of like sassy, the the sassy, horny maid, yeah, sex positive maid. Excuse me. No, you're feeling this. And but then to at least identify the fact that it's not completely satisfying. No, is what makes it a well-rounded character. And she ends up marrying at the end of the movie. At the very end of the movie. Yeah. So it's a little different from what happens during the musical. All right, so after Petra stole in the show, we then go to Henrik, who has decided to end his life. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And kind of walks in on his suicide a little bit. Um, So, and I'm going to be talking about the movie, this is the actual last time, and this one is important. Okay. Very important. (laughs) In the movie, Henrik is staying in a room that is kind of like their uh, quote-unquote presidential suite, but there's a secret to this room. It's a room adjoining another bedroom. There is a secret button inside of this room that if you press it, a part of the wall opens up. Oh, stop it. The bed from the other room slides in. <gasps> the wall closes again. The figure, uh, the little statue of a, a trumpeteer angel comes out of the wall and trumpets. It is essentially a booty call button, which is insane. Hilarious and horrifying when you consider the implications of how little consent there is about a bed just sliding a, into a room. It's a little Matt Lauer. Oh, thank you. In the movie, what happens is Henrik goes to hang himself in his room. He tries to hang himself off of like a like a like a light or something, like fixture, mm-hmm. I don't remember what. It breaks, he falls down and hits his chest against the button. He didn't realize the button was there. A bed slides into the room. Anne is in that bed. <gasps> that is how they end up together. So with all due respect to Sondheim and the forest scene, that is one thing from the movie I wish they put into the musical because it's insane. <laughs> That's insane. Yep. I, I'm a huge fan of secret passages in homes. It's so magical. It's like it's a non-negotiable for me. When I have a house as a, you know, a grown-up. I want that for you <laughs> as a grown-up. It's weird. I'm talking to a five-year-old yeah, who sounds I'm, so uh, adult. There has to be a secret passage of some kind. But also, can you imagine if they put in a musical and every production had to build a set piece? God bless those community theaters. That's like they would just have like a person in black. Like we have to install a hydraulic system for the bed to come (laughs) out of the the stage for a little night music that's not going to sell. Oh God! Uh, Anne interrupts the in the forest. The suicide yes. in the forest. He dear Evan Hansen's it, which means he falls out of a tree and and kind of botches his. Mm-hmm. And actually, Sondheim wanted the suicide to be successful. What? I mean, that's how that's how dark Sondheim, Sondheim likes to go. That's not even how the story goes. All right, and and Hugh Wheeler was like, no, like this is a happy <laughs> this is a happy Sondheim. show. Jesus. So, but anyway, in the musical, thank goodness, he doesn't yeah, he go doesn't through die. with it. He doesn't. In fact, it allows 
him to finally reveal his feelings to Anne that he has loved her a long time and she and she's like oh my god same something clicks in her and she's like oh wow this is what I've been waiting for Mm -hmm. and and they do it and they literally run away yeah no word to anyone they're just like bye yeah we're done so that's when the Night smiles on the young because they find each other and run away. How's there ever been a production where there was like a, a smile projection? I'm going to do that. In, in in a little night rock music, there will be a projection of a smile. <laughs> the toothy grin of the, oh, of the Swedish moon. <laughs> it gets moon. bigger and bigger as it goes along. Um, <laughs> the Swedish moon. I like that. Then the next thing that happens is the um, duel, right? Um, yeah, there's the duel. Yes, it happens after that because Frederick is like bereft about his bride escaping. Yes, he's like, where has Anne gone? Mm-hmm. And Carl Magnus is like, what did you do with my wife? We're mm-hmm. going to play a Russian roulette. High stakes. Yeah. I don't know. These rich people are really bored. So they play Russian roulette. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gun goes off, but it luckily just grazes his ear. Yeah. But anyway, he's like on the ground. On the ground. Double bereft right. at this point. Desiree runs to him. Yes. Right. Like, oh, you fool. Yeah, literally. She's just like, ah, and she's like, oh, I've been such a fool. And he realizes how how idiotic. Some, yeah, and, and sometimes we do need a little a taste slap of in death the face. To, yeah, to an wake actual slap up. in the face from death. Uh huh. They sing a reprise. They sing the reprise of Sending the Clowns, which is, we've been clowns all this time. Yeah, me we as are a merry the go along, me as um, merry go round, me as King Lear, which is a nice lyric. I like it. That is sweet. Mm-hmm. And the so the knight smiles on the fools. There yes. they are. The last and, one. And then Carl Magnus realizes, I think, that Charlotte is worth more Oh, he doesn't than... realize shit. What happens is she goes, Carl Magnus, turn around and look at me. Uh-huh. And she gives him what for. Yeah. And she's like, I'm your wife, blah, 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 blah. Which, again, she deserves better, but good for her for asserting herself. I'm glad that she stands up for herself. I don't... I think they last another five months, and then she goes, okay. Yeah, enough is enough. done. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the, the feeling I get as well. Yes. Then we... I don't know if... We've known this before, but we realized that Desiree's daughter's name is Frederica. Yeah, Frederica, which... So then yeah. so then Frederick's like, oh, shoot, this is my kid? Um, yeah, it's his kid. So we, we see them together as a family, mm-hmm. as they should be. Mm-hmm. Which I think it'll... I'm really excited for them. They will last. I yeah. think they'll be okay. Yeah. I think they'll be okay. Uh, they know how to fight in the right way. Yes. And then years later, Frederica will write a searing memoir about how damaging it's all been for her. A Just mommy dearest. Go full Carrie Fisher. Absolutely. Uh, then R.I.P. Carrie Fisher. Oh, yeah. Speaking of R.I.P., guess what's about to happen? So the the last thing that needs to happen is for the knight to smile on the old. Mm-hmm. And Frederica, the daughter, tells her grandma. Um, you told me that you knight told, would smile three times. It's exactly. only been two times. It's only been twice. What's the third one? Yeah. And Madame Armfield like, takes a deep breath. She goes, watch this. Right? <laughs> and dies. And then dies. And it, the music is gorgeous. Her wig apparently falls off a little bit. Just a little bit. She snatches one last wig. As a true icon, she, she, look... <laughs> is there a more iconic character who can call her own death and it's a peaceful death? Uh-huh. Where she's just like She just goes blip. She just gives up the ghost and she mm-hmm. she good. She good. She's That's, like peace. My work here is done. If I don't die in a wheelchair with a wig falling off peacefully, I just revive me and let me try again. With a with Jonathan Tunic orchestrations <sighs> to accompany you. Yeah, that's a dream. That's great. It's a dream. 
And the show ends with everyone waltzing with the partners that they should have had. And then Frederica looks in the audience and goes, and haven't we all had a little night music blackout? <laughs> no, I just wish every show ended like that. Where you have to say the title. Like the title, yeah. Make eye contact with <laughs> yes. every audience member. Yes. I've been recording a lot of episodes about family shows, yeah, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. Frozen and This one will need to have a little Pan. E next to it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons why it was so refreshing for audiences and from the reviews I read from critics, they were saying, oh, it's a it's a musical written for adults. Yeah. And, and not like... <sighs> not meaning that it's body or yes, dirty. Not that, that it's dirty. Not that it, those are fine too. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. But that's not what they meant. They were they were meaning sophisticated mm-hmm. and also adult themes. The themes are not frivolous. Yeah, but yeah, it's very grown up. Yeah, and it's something that you have to sit and listen to. Yeah, you have to be an engaged audience member to really enjoy it yeah, in the way that it's meant to be enjoyed. Where some musicals are ice cream, this one's like a parfait, like at a, like a. It's meant yeah, to be. Class. It's meant to be nibbled and enjoyed over several hours. Sometimes I just like down. I, I don't even taste it. I'm just like <laughs> when I eat, you can ask my husband. It's just I open up like a snake, and the burrito just goes down, and then I suffer later. But sure. I don't think about suffering in the moment. Yeah, because life is short. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a very short road. Yeah, from the plunge and the plunge <laughs> to the bridge. Can you and imagine? The and can the you imagine playing Petra and losing your lyrics and going from the lung in the flunk? It's like a June is busting all over I'm moment. Absolutely positive. <laughs> that it's would happened. be me. Please, oh, yeah. please add us any Petras who have gone up during it's the Miller's It's a very song. far long from the fling and the flunk. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites is not Sondheim related at all. I was at Disney and the uh, singing suitcase in a dream. And right. the the lyric is so pack up your suitcase and start your dreaming. And and I would make like a come on sort of motion and for some <laughs> reason I said so come on your suitcase and start your dream. <laughs> Back up your suitcase. Come on, your suitcase. Honestly, and, that's that's little night music. And I like I made eye contact with the the sound guy who was operating everything from the <laughs> iPad, and his eyes just like grew three times. Like, what did you just say? I'm like, I'm so sorry. Come on, your suitcase. La la la. <laughs> Again, come, come on your luggage, la la. Oh my god, that's too good, Jeffrey. Uh, anyway, there's nothing better than that. All right, thank you. Uh, uh, oh wait, we haven't really talked about the movie version of the musical, but I guess there's not much to say. Oh, I mean, it's it's there. I'm. I've often thought that a little night music would have been better with a a different director. The film he version. was too close to it. What if Mike Nichols had directed it? Wow, you know, like maybe who do you it think would worked. be well I, if they did it again? Mm-hmm. Who do you think would be? For for a okay. film for version, a musical, yeah, film musical version, it's it's a difficult piece. Be, and Sondheim talks about this that when you have like a four minute scene, song scene, like you must meet my wife, that in film you could you have to do a lot. Yeah, you ha- you kind of yeah. have to do really tricky things with editing and the camera. So not be- not Tom Hooper, <laughs> <laughs> because because really. All of the emotions could be said in that scene with two close-ups yeah. and great acting. Yes. So it's then how do you justify it to be— You'd have to open it up. They'd yeah. have to, like, go for a walk or something. Yeah. I don't know. So, so maybe you do it as, like, a crazy one-take type in your retube or, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. 
It's funny because the moments where the movie version are the most successful, in my opinion, is where he opened it up so that, like, Weekend in the Country, for example, mm-hmm. where they're a restaurant and they're outside and then and they're then, like... then those cool cars and... Yeah, and it's not a disaster. No, it's, it's just not a disaster. Not... Well, and Liz Taylor, bless her heart. She's actually my least favorite thing in the in the movie. Yeah, she's very bad in it. But like you can see Diana Rigg. Oh, she's great. Play Charlotte. She's, she's fantastic. And Len Carew was good. Len Carew? Yeah. I mean, who okay, so yeah, let's go through our okay. Tony Awards here. Okay. This is nineteen seventy-three. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Pippin was the other big show besides Lil Night Music. Also up for best musical that year were Sugar, which was the film version of uh Some Like It Hot. Or sorry, the, the stage the version. Stage version. The stage musical oh, version of Some Like It Hot. And Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Which, which I, is one of those 70s musicals you yes, were talking about earlier. Yes, exactly one of those. That's The 70s would have been awash in those if we didn't have Sondheim. Sondheim, right. Uh, a Little Night Music wins over Pippin. Yeah. However, Bob Fosse wins for director and for uh, choreographer. Uh-huh. Glynis Johns wins for best actress. Good. Len Carew, who was the original Frederick, was up for actor. He loses, of course, to Ben Vereen yes. because that's an iconic that's performance. Fine. Yep. In featured actress, our bald lady Hermione Gingold <laughs> is nominated for Madame Armfelt, but she loses to Patricia Elliott, who played Charlotte. Really? I didn't mm-hmm. realize she won. Mm-hmm. Lawrence, I, 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 Guitard, Guitard. I don't know. Guitar. Yeah. Well, I, I don't actually know. Yeah, but he's nominated for for Carl for, Magnus. That yeah. voice. That's oh. an incredible voice, right? There's the note he hits uh, at um, the woman's moon, uh, and he holds it for a million years. Ugh, that's but, a man. But that tone. Yeah. And I, I mean, his character drives me crazy, but I would listen to him oh, sing it's, anything. But it's also, by the way, it's a great comedic character. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's not just toxic. He's, all, he's also comically It's making toxic. fun of t- masculine toxicity. Exactly. It also wins for costume design, mm-hmm. Florence Klotz. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Sondheim wins for score, and Hugh Wheeler wins for book. So Good. it has a really successful year at the Tony Awards, which makes the early 70s really belong to Sondheim. Because and it ran com- for a long time and com- was financially successful. Yeah, yes. exactly. So good for them. It's a wonderful piece. And that's what Petra said to Freed. <laughs> That's what Petra said. Can we do, can we're we make that start, thing? That's what Petra said. We're starting that. <laughs> like it. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Sondheim and all of the wonderful people who made this really elegant and horny piece of theater for us to enjoy. <laughs> Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at A Musical Podcast. And if you have any ideas or requests for shows that we cover here on the show, you can email us at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I think that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And I don't know what should be the tagline for this and one. And as always, it's a very short road from the plump to the schmump. To the and the plump to the, the schmump to the plantern. That's it. I don't know how it could get better than that. Cue music. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 